Our scripture lesson today is this text from John chapter 3, verse 1 through 15. And the title of the sermon, I guess, is Nick at Night. Nick at Night. You know, I was thinking back to when I was in college, when I went to Ole Miss, I had a friend who went to Auburn University, and so one weekend, he invited me to go over and to visit with him. Now, I'm not about to tell you what we did on Friday night, or Saturday night, but I will tell you that on Sunday, we went to church, maybe to make up for Friday and Saturday night, but my friend was not a United Methodist, so we did not go to a United Methodist church. We went to a church that, that he chose, a church that he'd been worshiping in, and it was, a, it was a pretty good experience, all things being said. The people were really, really nice. The music was inspirational. The sermon, while not as good as what the people at St. Mark's get every Sunday, was still pretty good. I didn't really get uncomfortable until after the sermon. And the reason why I got a little uncomfortable after the sermon is because the pastor instructed us to bow our heads and close our eyes and not to look around at anybody. And so I did what you all would do. I looked around and seen what was going on. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, I, this was somewhat new to me. And so this pastor said, I believe that God has put it on my heart that there is somebody here this morning that has not asked Jesus into their heart and into their life. And I believe that Jesus wants you to step out of that pew and walk down to the front and give your life to Jesus while we sing. And so we started singing this familiar hymn, and we sang the first verse, and we sang the second verse, and we sang the third verse, and we sang the last verse, and nobody had stepped out of the pew to make their way to the front. And it was as if the preacher was expecting that to happen because the music just kept right on playing in the background and the pastor said, now look, the Lord has told me that there's somebody here that needs to give their life to Jesus and we're going to keep singing until you do. And so then we started singing again, and we sang the first verse, and the second verse, and the third verse, and the fourth verse, and still, the second time we sang the last verse, nobody has stepped out to come forward. And that's when I leaned over to my friend Jimmy, and I said, Jimmy, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus so we can go to Cracker Barrel. Now, I'm not really proud that I did that, but I did enjoy my country fried steak, pinto beans, turnip greens, and mashed potatoes, and sawmill gravy. It was a delicious lunch that I might have been delayed in receiving had somebody not came forward. But I got to thinking about that. Why in the world do you think that people were hesitant to come forward? that morning. My first thought at the time was is that God was probably at the Methodist church and so God wasn't there prompting and prodding and convicting people to come forward and and then I realized well that's kind of silly cuz I hadn't seen a whole lot of people in the Methodist church come forward at the end of a service unless of course they've got on a purple robe and a black stole and kneel at the altar. 
So then I thought, well, I wonder why. Why would people be so hesitant to come? Maybe it's because they couldn't stand the preacher. Have you ever had a preacher you didn't like? I bet you have. Maybe they just had a preacher that they didn't like, and maybe they thought, I am not about to give him or her the pleasure of thinking that they had anything to do with me saying yes to Jesus. Maybe that was it. Or or maybe why they were hesitant that day was because they were afraid Maybe they were afraid that they might be the only one in that place that had not, uh, had not cultivated a relationship with Jesus, had not become a Christian. And maybe they were afraid to step forward because they thought everybody else in that place already has something that I don't yet have. Maybe they were hesitant to come forward that day because... Um, they were embarrassed by some sort of significant sin that they'd identified in their lives or some sort of gargantuan guilt. And maybe they were afraid that if they stepped out into the aisle that morning and walked down to the front, that everybody would begin to speculate about what that sin or what that guilt might be. Maybe that's why they didn't come down that morning Maybe they were hesitant because they had so many unanswered questions. Maybe they had some doubts and some fears and some uncertainties. And and they didn't think that you should have any of those things if you were hearing the voice of God speak to you and you were being invited to respond. Maybe that's why they didn't come down. Or maybe they just weren't even sure that the voice or the prodding that they were receiving or hearing was the voice of God at all. Maybe, maybe they just were baffled by what was taking place in that moment. Well, in our scripture lesson today, we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. And before we're even told who Nicodemus is, what his name is, we're told two things about him. The first thing we're told is he's a Pharisee. Now, Pharisee literally means separated one. And if you were a Pharisee, and and according to the Jewish historian Josephus, which is not to be misunderstood of the southern historian Bocephus, but Josephus Josephus said that there were never more than 6,000 Pharisees on the planet. And if you were a Pharisee, there was a couple of things that could be said about you. Number one, you knew the law backwards and forwards, front, uh, side to side. You knew everything that there was to know about the law. And if you were a Pharisee, the second thing that was true about you is that you had made a pledge that you were going to absolutely honor every detail of that law in your life. And because it was such a huge commitment, there weren't a lot of people who were signing up to be a Pharisee. So that's the first thing that we learn about Nicodemus. The second thing we're told is that he was a leader of the Jews. Now, a lot of historians say that when it says that he was a leader of the Jews, that Nicodemus was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin was a group of 70 men. Their, their job, their role was much like our Supreme Court here in the United States. This group of 70 men, whenever there was a question about the law, about how it should be interpreted or applied, this group of men was the end-all, be-all authority on how to interpret or define that law. 
And so here you have a man who is both a Pharisee, who has separated himself from the ordinary folks like us, who's trying to live by every letter of the law, and you've also got a man who is a Supreme Court Justice. He is the ultimate authority on how this law should be applied in our life. And yet this man, set apart and knowledgeable as he was, seeks out Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me is what Nancy's already shared in our children's sermon today is that he didn't seek out Jesus maybe after Jesus was teaching in the synagogue or in the temple. He didn't seek out Jesus after one of his teaching and preaching sessions during the day. He actually seeks out Jesus at night. And you got to wonder, why in the world would he get up in the middle of the night and to go see Jesus and to seek out Jesus? I suspect that he does it for many of the same reasons why we have trouble taking that step out into the aisle and coming down to the front and why that church that I visited so many years ago had trouble. I suspect that some of us would say, well, Tommy, you should know that altar calls really are a recent phenomenon as it relates to Christian history and context. It it just started in the 1800s here in America. Before that, they didn't even know what an altar call was. You might rightly point out that there is nothing in Scripture that suggests that an altar call is required or expected from God's people. You might think that altar calls just feel like preacher manipulation. Sometimes it's like we're not leaving here until somebody steps out into the aisle and comes forward to give their life to the Lord. Sometimes it's because We are uncomfortable taking that step all by ourselves while everybody else in the room, people that we assume know more about God and more about faith than we do, are gazing at us. Maybe they're even looking at us and wondering, well, I wonder what he or she's been doing lately that would prompt them for needing to get right with the Lord. There's all sorts of reasons perhaps why... um, Nicodemus didn't come uh, that night and why we don't come. Maybe he was cautious because he was afraid of what the Sanhedrin would think or even worse, what they would do to him if they saw that he was seeking out this man, Jesus. Maybe he was afraid of what his family would say and do. Maybe he was afraid of what people would say. Maybe he was afraid um, of... Uh, what that might mean for his career. Maybe he came at night because he wanted a one-on-one conversation with Jesus. Maybe he had been there listening to Jesus teach and preach in the synagogue one day, and after Jesus finished, everybody was going up to him and talking to him and asking him questions and having conversation about what he had said. And maybe he thought, if I go at night, nobody else will be there, and I'll have some one-on-one quality time with the Lord Maybe he comes at night because John, in his gospel, understands darkness as being symbolic of people who are distant from God. And maybe John wants us to realize that even though this is a very learned man who knows all the theology and all the laws and tries to keep them, he nevertheless is quite distant in his relationship with God. Maybe it's because Nicodemus 
is in the midst of a dark night of his soul. Maybe he's had a loved one who is sick or hurt or dying. Maybe he knows someone that's struggling to make ends meet. Maybe there was a a virus that was going around the land in that day that had everybody scared. Maybe in recent days there had been an awful, terrible line of storms to blow through that area, leaving people homeless and full of grief because people that they know and love perished. Maybe he was experiencing such a dark night of the soul when he came to see Jesus that night. What I love about the story is that even though um, he had questions, even though he had doubts, even though he had fears, even though he had concerns, still he came. He brought those things in darkness, but he brought those things to the light. The light of Jesus Christ. And what's interesting to me is that we're told that after he goes to Jesus and he begins to ask him all sorts of questions, this man still doesn't understand. He, he still doesn't get it. And that's surprising. Remember, this is no dummy. This is a man who is so well versed and learned in theology and the law and his understanding of who God is. And yet he still has some questions and some doubts. He still didn't get what Jesus was trying to say. And so we might assume, if we didn't know anything else about Nicodemus, that a smart man like that, that still doesn't get it, would just walk away from Jesus and say, you know what, I quit. I'm not pursuing this anymore. I'm a smart man. I don't get it. I'm just going to move on. And yet we read about Nicodemus a couple of other times in Scripture. One in John chapter 7 where he reminds his brothers on the Sanhedrin that you're not supposed to interrogate someone uh, or judge someone until you've interrogated them, until you've heard what they have to say. And then we see Nicodemus again in John chapter 19 When after Jesus has been crucified, Joseph of Arimathea asked for permission to take his body from the cross. And he and Nicodemus prepare the body for burial and place Jesus into the tomb. Why is that important? It's important because when we first meet Nicodemus in our story today, he's full of questions. He has doubts. He probably has fears and uncertainties. And yet he still seeks out Jesus. He doesn't understand a lot more after seeking out Jesus than he did when he began to seek Jesus. But we have evidence that would suggest that he continues to follow Jesus. And he continues to listen to Jesus. And I believe by the fact that he's there to take Jesus' body off of the cross and put it in a tomb, that ultimately, despite his questions, despite his fears, despite his doubts, this one who was willing to still seek, to still follow, and to still listen, ultimately believed in Jesus as the Messiah. There may be those of you here this morning 
that wouldn't be willing or able to step out and come down the aisle right here today. Maybe God is speaking to you, but that's okay. Maybe there are people here this morning that are having some darkness in their own lives. And maybe in the midst of that dark night of your soul, you find yourself ready to seek Jesus. You've got a lot of questions. You've got a lot of fears. You've got a lot of doubts. You've got a lot of uncertainties. All of those things are normal. One of the smartest men of Scripture, Nicodemus, had those same things. But he was willing to seek out Jesus. And he was willing to listen to Jesus. And even though he didn't understand, he was willing to follow Jesus. And I believe ultimately he came to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. May it be so for each of us.